Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. Well, this week I am on my own. Andy is on a break, but I am not truly alone because I have a wonderful guest with me this week. I have been wanting to do a podcast with my friend Debbie Boone for quite some time, and an opportunity arose thanks to our friends at Care Credit. Uh, they came to Andy and I with an idea for a podcast about uh, practice finances and about the idea that money conversations with the team are so hard some of the time. The team hates talking about money generally. There is also almost always somebody on the team who gets anxiety when it comes to uh, the idea of being salespeople in the room. And when I thought about who I could jump into and nerd out on this topic with, Debbie immediately came to my mind. If you don't know Debbie, you are in for a treat. She is a CVPM, so Certified Veterinary Practice Manager. She is a practice manager with years of experience in the industry, uh, over th- over 30 years. Um, and she is now an industry consultant. Uh, she works with practices. And what I love about Debbie's style as a uh, consultant is that she really wants to work with practices to teach and coach them to learn about smart business practices so that they can do it on their own. Her goal is to set them up for success and then let them fly. And I just love that philosophy. She brings it to how she speaks. Uh, She is an industry speaker and how she works with her practices individually and also how she educates. Debbie taught a curriculum for Patterson U for a long time. Um, And so she has got a lot of knowledge to bring to this uh, table and the conversation today. And I am super excited to share this one. This week's episode is brought to us and free by our friends at Care Credit. And this is a fun conversation. So let's get into it, shall we? And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we're back. I am Stephanie Goss, and I'm here this week, not with Andy Rourke, but with my friend, the amazing and wonderful CVPM, Debbie Boone. Now, Debbie is a practice manager. We have known each other a long time. She is like me, not practicing these days, right, Debbie? But tell us uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Steph. You know, every time Steph and I see each other, it's like, oh boy, big hug. And But we only see each other at conferences. So Debbie gives the best hugs. <laughs> I uh, I look forward to it every time we see each other. We, we pre-plan it so we can find each other. <laughs> we can do it's it. It's true. <laughs> true. Oh, man. But as Stephanie said, I am a CVPM and I managed hospitals for 23 years before starting my own private consulting business. And I focus a lot on communication, client service, uh, culture building, leadership skills for uh, veterinary teams. And I've for years, I wrote a column called Culture Coach for uh, Vet Team Brief, a magazine I still love and miss. And then I've done a lot of writing. Uh, and currently, thank you to Care Credit support, I am writing a book called Hospitality and Healthcare that will will be signing at AVMA uh, about how to Which really... Which is so exciting. I, I'm pretty pumped about it. I've got 30,000 uh, words written in a St. Patrick's Day deadline, <laughs> so I've got to keep pushing the gas on that. <laughs> Oh man, I I am so excited uh, for that and for you. And it's funny because um, you know we were working on uh, the plans for this podcast, and I was talking to our friends at uh, Care Credit and uh, the team over there, and we were talking about you know financial care and finan- versus financial policies is what we're going to talk about today. And we were we were talking about who would be a good person to have the conversation with. And you were immediately on my mind, A, because you um, are fun and I've been looking for a reason for you and I to do podcasts together (laughs) for a while. Uh, But also B, like you, what I love about your style, your consulting style, but also just your um, presence in our field and the way that you interact with other managers is that it's always been focused on the customer care aspect. Uh-huh. And that's what I love. And what I'm excited about today's podcast is it's important for us to have financial policies. But really, one of the things that I love to do as a manager and that I love that Care Credit helps us promote um, as an industry is how do we think about it from a financial care perspective, uh-huh. from a wellness perspective, so that it's more well-rounded and it's not just, 
oh, hey, we're having an emergency and now we need to have the money conversation, but we're thinking about it from the uh-huh. very beginning. And so when we started talking about it, I was like, I think uh, I think this would be a great one to do with Debbie. So I'm super excited to have the conversation today. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this because, you know, it's one of the things is I have a whole chapter in the book about it. why do we hate to talk about money? Yeah. And, and <laughs> we we avoid and a lot of I have to think about it, it's really a cultural thing because we're trained from okay. the time we're young to say, you don't talk about money. You don't. You know, it's like you don't ask people's age, right? It, when you're fine with your five, right. you can ask people how old you are if you're five. But when you're 45, <laughs> you don't ask people how old they are. So it's it's the same principle. And so we don't talk about salary mm-hmm. to our detriment, and we don't talk about you know finances again to our detriment. But I, I've laughed because for years my husband was in sales, and he kind of mm-hmm. coached me. Uh, having had sales classes and of course you know if you say sales to any veterinary team that kind of keel over like one of those fainting goats and and right. it was like oh. <laughs> in fact i was at i was at the uncharted <laughs> conference i always remember this story this veterinarian was talking about her team and and she was talking about the difficulty in getting people to say yes to stuff and she said and i don't want them to sell but and i went yes you do <laughs> You really do. <laughs> you do. You do. You do. But yeah. okay, so like that's that's where I think this conversation starts, right? When we uh-huh. think about um when we think about finances in the practice, policies, care, just the discussion with clients, there really are few things that give the team more anxiety um or overwhelm than than quote unquote sales, right? Or the money conversations. Uh-huh. From from the beginning, even when I was at the front desk, it always amazed me I never had a problem with it, I guess, probably because I had had retail and like formal sales experience before coming to veterinary medicine. Um, But my colleagues who came solely from veterinary medicine, they had so much anxiety and stress over having those conversations. Uh And so I have always wondered and have asked the question a lot of my colleagues, but also of my team, like, where does this anxiety come from? What is so scary about the idea of sales in veterinary medicine? Well, I, I think it's the idea of if the concept of sales, right? It's that used car salesman push stuff on people that's unnecessary. But when I am teaching right. classes about sales, I say, look, it's education. You really are teaching mm-hmm. people what their pet needs because they don't know on their own or they're going to go out and they're going to get some wacko misinformation if you are not the educator. So when you're talking right. about sales, if you think how many people walk in your door and go, hey, I, I think my new puppy that I've never had a dog before in my life is probably going to need some kind of parasite prevention and heartworm prevention and you know some appropriate nutrition. They don't do that. They expect us to do that. Right. And that's selling, right? right? That's selling. But yes. it, it is presenting yes. in a way that you're showing the value for it, because that is the challenge. Is a lot of times we just want to reel off kind of this grocery list, but we also have to back up and say, this is the feature. Like, this is like, here's your Volvo. Here's the feature. It's boxy, but it's good, right? That's <laughs> one of my favorite lines from a movie. It's- yeah. Totally, totally true. And I think that that's um, that is one of the pieces that as managers, we kind of we all know that it starts with the education. But I think that for a lot of us, the conversation doesn't often go beyond the surface when it comes to the concerns, both the team's concerns and their concerns on behalf of the client, right? Because I think some of the anxiety comes from um, whether it's preconceived notion or truth that the team members may know about a client, they are also concerned on behalf of the clients about money. And so, uh, but at the same time, like it's not our job to be able to control the client's finances or even know what the client's finances or financial situation is, right? Like you said, um, we we can't control that. We don't know. And so how, um, how do we get the team to like open up and kind of talk about what their concerns are and like where do we start with the battle because I feel like if we just say okay well you need to educate them it's always a yes yes but or yes and right from the team is like yes yes, but not yes this is what I can't do right (laughs) Right. (laughs) well when I you know I've taught like 10,000 plus people when I was teaching the Patterson classes and we talk about this and I said first of all when you're prejudging somebody how arrogant of you, how dare you, 
because you have no idea where this pet's place is in the home. In my experience, I had, you know, I worked at a very high-end practice uh, in the, my first 19 years, and I worked in a rural practice my second three and a half years before I started consulting. Mm-hmm. And in every one of those, you had people of modest means who would say, whatever it takes, I will pay it. Here's my credit card. Here's four credit cards. Put a piece right. of this, this, and this. And you right. also had yeah. people who were mega wealthy who said, I'm not going to pay for that. You know, I don't want to. Right. Because that that yeah. was a part of their values. So it really goes back to we have to start paying close attention to the people in front of us. And we can't stereotype or bump them into, well, this one's got some money and they're going to pay. And this one doesn't have any money or and they're not going to pay. One of my favorite stories, uh, I used to do some work with Zoetas. And they always made me tell this story that. One Saturday morning, we, you know, it was at the rural practice, and this man came into the practice. And he was carrying a chicken under his arm, and he had blue jeans on, and they were kind of ratty, and he had his straw hat on. It's kind of ratty, and it's the old faded shirt. Uh-huh. And you're looking at him and going, This man doesn't have two nickels to rub together. But the chicken had apparently attempted to cross the road and really didn't make it to the other side. Oh, no. So she'd been okay. bumped by a car. Well, we put her into an exam room and figured out that she did have a broken leg, and we gave her um, estimate for an orthopedic pit placement, and mm-hmm. the client said yes. Wow. Well, come to find out, like talk about talk about upsetting the, the, stereotype, the stereotype, right? That's like right. for your team, right? So then, three days later, after she was hospitalized, he comes back to pick up Henrietta. And at that point in time, we find out that he had actually been to two other veterinary hospitals who looked at him and said, for the first one said, I don't it's know. It's not worth. I, I don't know how to do this. It's too, and yeah. this, honestly, the second one, now remember, this is rural North Carolina, looked at him and said, are you crazy? It's a chicken. Ring right. its neck, eat I, it for lunch, and uh, move on. Right. I was going to say, it's not worth, it's it's not worth doing not, the right, surgery. Right. Like, they you were know, judging the value. You dollars right? Right. So, uh, it, this was a $700 bill. And we find out at that point in time that this is a, a human physician who works at the local hospital, and he's a hobby farmer. And so uh. he's so thrilled with the work that we did. He moved all his animals to our practice, and he had 23 animals because he had everything. In a <gasps> oh, my <menagerie>. gosh. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes back yeah. to work, and he tells everybody what a, an amazing thing that we did. And he sends this, this whole referral base of people who are working in the hospital. So you, you cannot judge who is in front of you, you just offer the best you can. Now, that being said, would we have figured out a way if he wanted to and could not pay $700 in one fell swoop to figure out how to pay for Henrietta? Yeah, we would have. We would have offered him care credit. Um, You have to have a policy in place, and, and people need to know that you have the policy in place. You know, I could remember many years ago, uh, this is probably back in the 90s. And I used to go and take classes. I'm sure you used to do the same things, career track classes and all these. Uh-huh. And they said, <laughs> one of the things that you need to do to is to make sure that people understand that you have payment options before they walk in the door. Because yeah. that gives them a sense of safety and security that whatever is happening, they have a way to figure out how to cover it. So they said, always yes. put your little stickers, NASCAR, Visa, Discover, American Express, right. near your door handle so that when people sure. are walking in or push the door, they can read it all. And so, you know, sure enough. Now, you got to remember, I've been doing this a really long time. So I predate care credit in my work. <laughs> <laughs> so, so oh, when I love care, that so yes, much. <laughs> so um, just shut up, Stephanie. So when care credit came out in the 90s, I was, I was so happy because our practice... Yep for years had built people and every mm-hmm. 15 days we would go through we would copy statements and we would yep. stuff envelopes and, and it was an, an inordinate amount of time to do all this yes and some and these were a lot of very wealthy people who just didn't want to bother to write a check and then they would have their people send yep. stuff money it right but when care right. credit came out we just said okay we're not doing this anymore here's the brochure mm-hmm. We stuffed envelopes with the brochure and said, we're out of the banking business. We're not supposed to be bankers sure. anyway. Let's do this. So we right. had an yeah. out and um, and people took advantage of it. But it was, it was about having a strategy ahead of time. I've been in practices as a consultant and, and somebody yells across the counter, you'll love this because I know you've seen it. Hey, Doc, and Mrs. Jones 
bill that $300. She doesn't have any money today. And he'll go, sure, that's fine. <laughs> that's the credit policy. I, I, <laughs> uh-huh. 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 Anyway, uh-huh. I'm laughing because I've heard, I've heard it. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so even, you know, even if you're going to do that, have a system in place where people have to sit down and right. fill out some information about themselves and how you can track them down and all this good stuff. One of my good friends was a credit collection agent, and I learned a lot from Elaine about the the bad mistakes that people would make in these credit situations. But really, we we have options in our world, and we really yeah. need to have systems in place. Um, it, even I mean, care credits, you know, an obvious one that we all use, but there are others things that we can do to split bills. And I actually had a client who well, paid me monthly like the mortgage and she would just build up a credit in uh-huh, a cornerstone uh-huh. account and then bring three dogs sure. in and wipe it all out. But yeah. I've had managers push back on that because like, shouldn't we escrow that? I went, seriously, you're doing somebody a favor. They're not going to press you for escrowing their money. It's a credit on their account. Yeah. Just help. Yeah. You know, just be there and help. Well, it's funny that, okay, so uh, I want to unpack a few things you, that you said. So the first thing that is uh, crazy to me is uh, almost as crazy when, when we were getting ready to do this episode, when we were talking about uh, the software and, and Zoom. And I was laughing because I'm still amazed every day that we're this far into life online after the, you know, during and after the pandemic, uh, where there are people who don't use Zoom. Um, and similarly, I am shocked, Debbie, at how often you and I are both in a lot of the industry practice manager groups, um, ranging from professional organizations like VHMA, where you're paying a membership fee to be a part of them, to the free Facebook groups, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm still shocked. I, I haven't, a week hasn't gone by where somebody doesn't ask, hey, what do you think about care credit? Or hey, what do you guys think about scratch pay or vet billing or yeah. you know, one of the other options? And it, it amazes me, especially, especially when people ask about care credit, because I'm like, this is not new. No. This is not new, you guys. No. This, is, this has been out for so long. And it is amazing to me how many practices still don't offer it to their their clients, especially yeah. because it's um the th- one of the things that uh, shocked me. So like occasionally I get super nerdy and I get into catching up on uh, journals and research studies. And uh, Synchrony did the lifetime care study, lifetime of care study. And if you are a manager in veterinary medicine or a practice owner in veterinary medicine and you haven't read through this, at least skim through the Cliff Snows version, you should uh, because there is some excellent, excellent information about care in veterinary medicine and uh, what our clients think and affordability and lots of different topics. But there was two things that really caught my eye when I was skimming through things. One was that one in four pet owners when they were surveyed said an unexpected expense of $250 or even less would be a financial issue for them. And that a bill of $250 was enough to trigger anxiety for them over how to pay. And I think about that and I don't know about you all, but it's been a long time since an annual visit with vaccines and preventative and lab work and their exam wasn't over $250. And so like when I think about those two things together, it amazes me how we're not doing more to have the conversation. And you were saying like, have the policy, right? And I think so many of us say, okay, well, we, we have a policy. Like we don't accept, we don't accept payments or we take held checks or we, uh, you know, offer care credit, whatever your policy is. A lot of hospitals have it defined, but it's an unspoken policy. It never, it, it never ceases to amaze me how many practices, We'll talk about it at the time of need mm-hmm. when when we have to have the conversation with clients. But there are so many of us that are not proactively and preventatively talking finances with clients. And the reality mm-hmm. is that paying for care, any care, whether it's human health care, pet health care, it is it is expensive and it is a big undertaking. And we have got to do better by our clients to have that conversation earlier and more often. It can't be a one and done. It especially can't be a one and done conversation at the time of crisis, right? Like we have got to start when clients come in 
to your point, before they walk in the door, do they see it on our website? Do they see it on our social media? And more than just the stickers, right, uh-huh. that we had in the 90s of, hey, we take Visa MasterCard yeah. and Discover. Yeah. But like, this is what our actual policy is. We expect payment at the time of service. If, you know, if uh, p- payment, here are the payment options that we accept. And then defining like, what are the circumstances where billing is allowed or payment options are allowed beyond those acceptable options that we're talking about it before they come in at that first visit, yeah. especially when they're puppies and kittens, mm-hmm. um, you know, that we're extending the financial conversation at that point in life beyond just, uh, you know, financing like mm-hmm. care credit. But we're talking about pet insurance and things like that, yeah. that we're talking about it when they're young and that we're continuing to have that conversation um, as they evolve lifetime wise in our practice. I think one of the misconceptions that we have, first of all, is that people are medically knowledgeable. Uh, because one of the questions I've, I've asked for years in my classes is how many of you have had someone come into your hospital who doesn't know if your dog, if their dog is male or female? And 100% of my students <laughs> right. raise their hand. So we're, yes. We're, yes. yes. So we're, we're starting with a, a misconception uh, of that premise that people understand what we're talking about. And then the second one is that people have a concept of how much things should be. I think uh, you probably remember this study that Karen Felstead did for VHMA about the cost of vaccines and exams. And people mm-hmm. were pretty close to vaccine costs because they do that a lot. But their sure. misconception of the cost of a dental cleaning was that it should cost $55 and it's closer to 500 as an average. So if we're not talking to people about how much, like this lifetime of care study, how much a dog or a cat cost you in its lifetime, yes. then we're doing those people a disservice because they don't have a good concept of what the reality is, like how much they should even prepare to spend. Right. Because yep. they're thinking about, okay, maybe I'll go to Tractor Supply and they're, you know, what, $2 a mile or something in there. So we, we really need to have that discussion. And when I was managing hospitals, I always did a kind of a lifetime care brochure and we would start out with puppies and kittens and here's what they need and here's what they need as an adult and here's when they get six or eight, here's what they need. So for years, you are prepping people for advanced care as they get older and older. And you're also sharing like how much that costs with people so that they're not blindsided when they get to that point in the game. And I think that one of the things that we, you know, we talk a lot about clients being upset with us and how difficult people are being. And certainly over the pandemic, everybody had kind of lost their mind. But one of the things that we've done is we have continuously blindsided our customer and not prepped them appropriately to be, to understand the cost and be prepared for payment and to give them some of the tools that we have. You know, I think um, one of my favorite tools, and you and I have talked about this before, is is policy. And so policy advisors is kind of like um, a, a hub of multiple different pet insurances. And what you do is you go in and you put your pet's information, name, age, breed, size, uh-huh. uh, you know, any major problems that they've had. And this algorithm figures out the best pet insurance policy for that pet. And gives you the cost and you can say, okay, do I want to cover all the vaccines and dental cleanings or can I can I afford that on my own? And do I want just disaster right. insurance or big, big problem insurance? And, you know, I you can obviously probably hear Tucker barking in the background on occasion. <laughs> apologize for. <laughs> no, it's so great. Yes. Uh, Debbie has Debbie has a, a naughty little COVID puppy. Yes, I do. I do. Although, he is adorable. He's, he's, he's so cute, but he gets in a lot of trouble. But, he does. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted him insured, but I wanted him insured um, and and Bichons. He's a Bichon. So come, some of their genetic problems are cataracts sure. and, you know, bad right. knees and things like that. So putting that information in, policy was able to find me the best policy for my breed of dog, which actually ended up being Pet's Best uh, Insurance. And so we got him uh, a monthly payment and he's he's been insured since the day he walked in the door. And I I would say, I tell everybody now, I tell friends who get pets, insure your pet. Because when I started in vet med, and we won't talk about how long ago that has been, (laughs) but like was simple. We talked about fleas. 
We dispense right. prednisone like water. Right. And heartworm. The heartworms. And then we talked about, um, you know, hit by cars, hot spots. Yeah. And all the flea yeah. allergy dermatitis, that was our life was about that, yeah. especially in the South. But now, I mean, I have practices that I work with that have CT scans in right. their general practice. Right. And we're doing complex work. We're doing human level work. And without insurance, people have no concept and no ability to to pay that for the most part, because we need to... Um, we need to tell people that they need these things. And people mm-hmm. don't, I mean, I still have people who don't even know pet insurance exists. We right. have a huge opportunity. Um, our, I'm sure you know Paul Camillo, who for years mm-hmm. was Jan Bellow's practice mm-hmm. manager. Well, Paul has started with some partners, uh, some veterinary hospitals, and his major focus was that people be insured. And sure. 60% of the pets that come into his hospital have a pet insurance policy. And he said, Deb, we don't talk about, uh, I can't afford it in my hospital. People are like, I have insurance, let's just do it. And for his for front office team, he said, I didn't hire medical people. I hired salespeople who know how to share the benefits of this stuff. So years and years ago, uh, Dr. Wendy Hauser and I wrote a book called uh, the Veterinarian's Guide to Healthy Pet Plans, and it was about the advantages of having monthly paid wellness plans. So my my concept is if you have the combination of a, of a wellness plan and pet insurance, then you got it knocked when it comes to taking yeah. care of your pet. Yeah, I I love both of those things. I am a huge advocate, and it's it's funny. I was anti um, anti wellness plans for a really long time, um, and then I we had done them in house and had had experimented with industry options um and but now i'm i'm on board because i saw how when they're done really well and they're modeled off of your practice's standard of care uh-huh. right then to to your point in the very beginning it's not about selling it's about educating and if it's what you believe in and are recommending anyways really it's just another way for clients to be able to access the care because you're providing them a payment plan is really all ours where we did not have a huge discount built into ours there was there was a, a there was a small discount but not <laughs> not certainly not big um, because my my doctors were earning on production and we wanted it to be fair on both sides. And they were like, uh, you know, hey, this is this is good for the patients. And so we're going to we're going to do it. And we also need it to um, we also need it to be fair for us from a from a pay compensation perspective. And so um, I think our, our discount was like capped at 10 percent. It was like five or 10 percent. It wasn't huge. But clients were happy to have some sort of discount. And really, they were just like, oh, I can pay it over 12 months. Great. Sign me up. Like uh, it made the yes and an automatic. And to to your point about insurance, I think that's um, that is a shift. The conversation I've been having with our colleagues for years is why are we not it doesn't even I don't think have to be about selling it's about changing our language because if you ask a client are we billing pet insurance today when they come in for their appointment you're not making a recommendation outright but you are making a very clear recommendation of hey we want our patients to have pet insurance and it opens the door for those conversations Mm -hmm. about oh pet like pet insurance is a thing tell me more tell me more about that because that's what you get more often than not is I don't don't know didn't know pet insurance existed like tell me more and so I think I I love that and I love how there have been more access there has been a focus on accessibility when especially when it comes to pet insurance uh, and making it more accessible to our clients because God love us uh, as an industry we have really struggled and I and I I acknowledge the challenge for my colleagues in not wanting to stake their flag and say, this is who I recommend, right? right? No. Because the nuances of pet care are so, so, so much. And the nuances of insurance are so much. And there is no one size fits all. And it really has to be about the patient. You know, to your point, Tucker, when you have a, a pet who's predisposed genetically to certain things, like what your needs are as the pet owner are different than what my needs are as a pet owner. And so it shouldn't be about let me try and take a one size fits all approach because that does feel I on in my personal opinion that does can feel really salesy and if the conversation is about 
I don't care who you use as long as you're using someone. And here is where you can find more information versus go with God, Dr. Google and figure it out on your own. Like that is a bad approach, right? We don't, but there are so many hospitals that that's the approach that they're taking because they're afraid to have the conversation. And so options like policy is, is fantastic for us as an industry. I remember, I'm old enough to remember when we had a list of preferred providers with AHA and it was really easy to be like, here's some options. Um, and that has always been my encouragement is like, ask your clients, who mm-hmm. are your clients using? And so that was my, that was how I operated as a practice manager was once a year, I would send out a survey to all of our clients who were using insurance and we had a code in our PIM so we could pull a report and see who was on insurance. And I would send them a, a survey and a simple like, tell us about your experience with pet insurance. We wanted the good and the bad and just like, are you happy with your, your policy? Yes or no. Um, and we would get their perspective And then I would say to our client, I would compile that. And then I would be like, here's some of the companies that our clients use if you're looking for more information and here's where to find it. And yes, it was a project and it was an undertaking, but I feel like it really allowed us as a practice to stretch that care conversation and that financial conversation out beyond the one and done. Because as human beings, that's not how we learn. We know what is it? You have to hear something seven times before you actually change change the habit. Mm -hmm. So for our clients, if we're just having a one and done conversation when they come in for urgent care and they're like, uh, what are my payment options today? They're not actually going to absorb that. We have got to do better by them and start to have that conversation earlier and more often. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be huge on the sales. Yeah. It can be little things that we change, even as simple as our language of, are we billing pet insurance today yeah. to open up the door to those bigger conversations? Well, we have to remember too, that when people are in our practice, they're often in stressful situations. And mm-hmm. and even if it's just, you know, I've got two kids and a dog and I'm trying to jungle all this stuff and I got to get back to work, their mind is not really focused on what we're telling them. And that's often why they go home and call back and go, what did you tell me to do with this medicine, right? right? <laughs> so so yes. we, we give too much credence to verbal instructions and we really yes. need to be giving people supporting materials uh, yeah, there's a reason they give actors scripts and they just don't stand up there and go pretend to be Joe Blow up here in this movie. They really give them very detailed scripts and we need to do the same thing. We need to practice. We need to have our teams practice scripts so that they're comfortable oh. saying just what you said. Are you billing your pet insurance today? And then they oh, we, I didn't even know pet insurance exists. Well, sure. You know, and then you, you might want to explain to people that it is really different from human insurance, that it is more like property insurance. And so it's a reimbursement, right. but it really does help, you know, yeah. people afford um, those unexpected care. things. Yeah. Yeah. The care. Yeah. Because, you know, you and I have been in this business long enough to know that a dog will eat anything. And <laughs> and true, some of the story. stuff I have seen them in jazz, including a 13 carat sapphire and diamond ring, which they pooped out in my kennel uh, one oh day. Yeah, thank goodness we had honest team members because Katie Dodds uh, ate a, she her mother owned a jewelry oh. store and she ate this beautiful ring and oh cleaned it up and <laughs> returned it to the owner. <laughs> Oh, man. See, you just never know what a conversation is going to go with me. That's, so just that's really don't. fantastic. Yes. That's fantastic. No, I was I was thinking of uh, I was thinking of our our Lola, our, of course, the lab. What else would it be? Of course. Who m- multiple, multiple enterotomies for eating rocks, like mm-hmm. the same piles of rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I'm yeah. thinking about that patient or the underwear eating bulldog like oh, that. Yeah. Those, but yeah. uh, but, you know, fine jewelry. OK, like now yeah, I mean, maybe I, know, now I've heard was, it all. This is a schnauzer. If it had been a lab, it would probably wipe oh, out the case, it but it just was a schnauzer. So, so yeah, these, <laughs> these things are unexpected. And, and people just, I mean, I'll laugh at you because when I got Tucker, I'm, I grilled the, the uh, breeder just right at left. And I thought she thought I had lost my mind. I said, but you don't understand what I've seen. And sure. so these are the questions that I'm asking you because I have seen the bad part of this deal right. and I don't want to buy a limit and I, I've got to drive all the way up to Detroit and I want to make sure that I don't have this you know behavior problem or a multitude right. of allergies or any other things but right. but people um, they need they need something in writing they need us to be teaching them you know on our website maybe we have a whole page on our website about financial options 
One of the things yes. I just um, just redid my entire website, but for years I have had a document on that site called uh, Helpful Ideas for Pet Owners. And mm-hmm. randomly I will get calls for people going, I heard you help pay for pets. I went, no, there's just a whole idea sheet here. Right. And on those ideas, there's links to the pet insurance companies and links for the practices to use. And there's charities available. Uh-huh. And all this stuff helps people. And because we prepared it ahead of time, what they understand from that is we understand that it's expensive and it certainly can be. But we worked to help. And so it's not just you don't care about us. You don't care about anything but the money. No, you really do care. And you care enough to provide tools and information and some support for us and we get it even though we may not be happy about our three thousand dollar bill when the dog ate rocks um right we're we understand you know and i right we go into it with the assumption that people are bound to know that it costs money and they do but they don't know how much it could possibly right. cost because they're used yeah. to their own forty dollar copay and getting a bill for you know one percent of their medical bill because their insurance has covered it. Their health insurance has covered it. So people don't know. And that doesn't mean they are idiots. Uh, I think right. you probably saw the recent post that got a little pushback on that. And I was glad to see that pushback because people are not idiots because they don't know yeah. all the things that we know. They may be uninformed, but that's because we didn't teach them. That's our job. Well, and yeah and that like client shaming is a is a big soapbox oh, right and yeah. and and at the same time like that could be a that could be a whole nother episode it, but i think that the truth there for me is that before we go pointing the finger at clients we need to look back at the at least three fingers that are pointing back at ourselves and say what are we doing to prepare clients for the understanding are we are do we have like so back to in the beginning when we were talking about the financial policies so lots of us have financial policies but are they written down are clients a reading them and 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 b are they signing it are 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 you getting agreement to them that they understand it that they've had the opportunity to ask the questions and then you know if i I think back to my experience in veterinary medicine. I mean, we started going to my family vet that I ultimately was the first vet practice that I worked at. We started going there when I was a kid. If you had given my mom, uh, you know, a financial policies information when we had our first, uh, you know, our first backyard dogs when I was seven or eight, and then never she never saw it again. It's it's unrealistic expectation that then years later when she's had three or four different pets and now I'm the you know, I'm the college kid bringing the pet to the vet and I'm like, I don't I don't tell me what my payment options are like it's unrealistic to expect that clients are going to remember those kind of things when it's one and done. And so some of the things that I think we need to do when we're pointing the fingers back at ourselves is look at, you know, do we have financial policies? Are clients agreeing to them and signing them? And then beyond that. Are they re- are you re-reviewing it? Mm-hmm. Because if they signed it once in 1999 and they're still your client, like that doesn't mean that they actually <laughs> that they actually still accept it, right. and also that you haven't modified your policies because the payment options we took in in you know when I started in 2000 in, in veterinary medicine, like the payment options then were Visa, Mastercard. Nobody took Discover or Amex because it was super expensive. It yep. was Visa, Mastercard, checks, and then Care Credit when Care Credit came mm-hmm. you know came along, and so. I think about it now. We'll accept just about anything under the under the sun. Apple Pay, you know. Well, yeah, <laughs> the, there's there's the so Visa many options. Amex, yeah, right? Like exactly. there's so many. And if we're not updating those policies, if we're not uh, then rediscussing them with mm-hmm. the clients, I think we're doing them a, a disservice um, because that's not how we learn as humans. No. We've got to continue to to present the, the yeah. information. You you said something that was super interesting to me that I want to unpack, which is about. Um, the the written information for clients and mm-hmm. not just verbally uh, sending client information home because I had that on my list as well in terms of like how are we presenting the cost conversations to clients in my practice my rule was a treatment plan for every client every patient uh-huh. every time full stop like uh-huh. and everybody would argue with me and they'd be like for the annual wellness do I really need to do a treatment plan yes yes you mm-hmm. do and here's why because your point 
when you have the mom who's got her two kids plus wrangling the dog in the exam room, like she is listening and she is doing her best to listen to you. She's listening to you with half an ear, maybe if you're lucky. And it's certainly not going to necessarily be easy to recall that information when she goes home to have the conversation with her partner and the rest of the family that's taking care of the pet, right? So I think figuring out how we communicate particularly when it comes to treatment plans um, in a more reliable method is something that we need to do to do better for our clients. And then the other piece of it that goes to to your point is like discharge instructions, right? And that the discharge instructions not only include the medical information that you're verbal vomiting on them during the appointment, but also those financial conversations. Uh And the we talked about pet insurance today, and I do not expect you to remember that I told you about policy. Here's the link. Yes. You know, and now it doesn't like we've come a long way, especially since COVID as an industry in terms of technology. It doesn't just have to be literally printing a piece of paper and hoping that it makes it home with them. We have everybody's email. Yeah. So why are we not sending it with the hyperlink so they can just click the button and have it open up on their phone screen or their computer yeah. screen? Like, I think those are areas where we really we're not doing uh, we can do better yeah. by the clients. We can't. We can't. Well, you know, I can remember years and years ago when we were talking about discharge instructions and all we did was. We created templates and links. And I mean, we discharged instructions for everything. And they were linked to service codes, and they were fairly elaborate compared to some of the stuff I'm even seeing today. Sure. But the other thing is, there's a message at the bottom of almost every invoice, and why wouldn't it the bottom? I mean, people ignore that; they never change it. They put maybe their address or something. People know where right. you are, and they're in your building. Right. So let's <laughs> put something valuable on the bottom of the invoice, like maybe here's a link to policy, uh, or here's a link to Ask care me about credit. pet insurance. Yeah, something. Yeah, it's just yep. put some information on there, and you can change that monthly. I, you know, when I work with practices, I develop a monthly marketing campaign for them, and every month we we have a focus on something else. So focusing on payment options and lifetime cost of care, and informing people about you know making a plan. I even have a friend. Uh, uh, Deborah Hamilton, who creates something called a map plan, and people do not understand. You know, they make this assumption that if something happened to them, or they had to be in the hospital for weeks, that some family member is just going to step in and take care of all their pets. But do they really know it? And do they have a financial plan for reimbursing those people? Sure. And do they have written down what food these animals eat, or any of those things? So there's a lot of planning uh, that people should do for their animals just like they would do having godparents for their kids. I know I was, my husband and I were godparents for our best friend's children. And we sat down and we said, okay, here's the plan. And if something happens to you guys, this is, you know, this is us, then we take over. But people forget that they need to do that for their animals too. Um, And this is all about creating a strategy so that people get what they want. And what they want is a really healthy animal that doesn't have many medical problems, that's really well taken care of, and that they enjoy living with, because mm-hmm. that is that is one of the things that you know we we talk a little bit about in vet medicine. You know, our our job is to kind of be the hero of the story and save the day when disaster strikes. But what we really don't realize is we're not the hero of the story. The client is the hero of the story. The pet is often the dilemma, the journey through the story. And we're the wise counselor. We're the Obi-Wan Kenobi to Luke Skywalker. And we are supposed to be the guide. And when we look at ourselves and we put ourselves in that place, rather than being this hero, then we're going to find out, first of all, our work is more sustainable because it's uh-huh. hard work being a hero for everybody. And and it's much easier to be the counselor in something that you're an expert in. And so that's that's what our job is to be, is to be this counselor and and to teach people all these things, um, because we live in it every day and we know it. And if you've been doing it a long time, you, you've watched it uh, expand into what it can, what we can do. I mean, we can do transplants for animals. We clone animals. We, <laughs> we're doing MRIs on animals. There's so much right. specialty work that's done. And do you want to have to say, no, I'm going to euthanize my 12-year-old dog because I can't afford having it go through cancer treatment when it, it has a great prognosis going through cancer treatment, but it's $12,000 or more. 
you know, so we, we want people to not have to make those horrible decisions. And we don't want to have to be on part of it either because we are, it breaks us, you know, it breaks us when we have to do that too. Well, I think that, I think that adds a lot to it. And I think when I think about, I think about the anxiety, going back to where we started, the anxiety for the team and, and talking about sales and money, it's, it's uncomfortable. And, and, um, you know, it brings up a lot of feelings and emotions. And I think a lot of it comes down to, to the, the slant, the lens, which with we choose to look through it, because if we as a whole, as an industry or as an individual practice, if we're looking at, you know, your example of, okay, now we have a patient who needs cancer treatment and, you know, the costs are upwards of, you know, $12,000. That's a huge, huge amount of money. And that for, for anybody uh, or almost anybody, I think would hit that panic button of how do I, how do I afford uh-huh. this? And when I think about what the clients told us in the lifetime of care study, we're not talking about $12,000. We're talking about $250, sometimes less being a threshold for people that like we should think about, Hey, this is not just that, that occasional client who's facing the $12,000 cancer treatment or the, uh, you know, the client who's patient, uh, you know, needs uh, orthopedic surgery and and it's, you know, going to be super expensive or needs specialized care that they have to go to the university for. We're talking about all of our clients mm-hmm. really almost every single day. And so I think I think when we think about making it be financial care over the life of the patient versus just we have a financial policy and here's the payment options that we accept, like we can't we do the clients a disservice if that's where we're stopping it. And so I think we have to think about, we have to think about all of the options. And I love what you said about building out resources for clients, because I think one of the other things that is a challenge for us is a lot of times we only help clients understand the options that are available with us. A lot of times we, and I, we're doing it with good intentions and um, we want to, to take care of our clients ourselves. And sometimes the best thing for our client or sometimes the best thing for our patient is to get care somewhere else that's mm-hmm. not us. And so many of us uh, operate from this scarcity mentality place where we're afraid to send them to to other people because we're like, well, we don't want to send them to our competition. The The reality is our competition rarely is who we think our competition is in veterinary medicine. Mm-hmm. And we've got to stop living that way because the reality is sometimes what is be- best for that client or that patient is to go somewhere else. And wouldn't I rather help that patient get care, even if it means we don't provide the care, right? Like we are in it for the patients. And so I think that goes to what you were saying about we're thinking about it ahead of time and we're deciding how do we feel about those kind of things to pull together that kind of resource information, whether it's here are the low cost vaccine clinics in the area or here are the low cost spay neuter uh, you know, options in the area or here are the, I mean, my ER that was local to us had a, re- a resource sheet for client that included um, options, including like local pawn shops and was like, here's, yeah. here's options for, for finding money, that's, you that's know, when list. you need it. Yeah. And so, and so, yep. um, you know, th- we have done our job ahead of time to think about those things and really we're trying to work with clients at that point, I think, instead of against them. And that I think feels better to me, even though in the moment, like I've been a part of those conversations with the team, it's hard for the team sometimes because we do care about our patients. And there is this, there is this thought of why can't we just help them? Like, is it really going to, you know, is it really going to kill us if we just do all of this thing for this one patient for free? But the the conversation with them has to go, hey, look, we're not talking about just that one, this one patient. It can happen 10 times a day. Yeah, especially, you know, I ran emergency and you're talking about emergency. Yes. Yeah, that happens almost every day. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And so I I think we have to start to think about it from that like whole, I I love the shift that's happening in the industry where we're starting to have those conversations to talk about it in a whole, uh, you know, lifetime of care, spectrum of care, uh, looking at the bigger picture and saying, how do we as a practice become an active, engaged participant in this conversation. We're also asking the client 
to show up and be an active, engaged part mm-hmm. of the conversation. Like this is not us doing all of the work and dragging them along behind us, yep. but we still have to play our part, I think, yep. in in having the conversations. Okay, so beyond talking to the clients about all of the options, right, and looking at how do we do do right by them and and in some cases do better by them and offer them all kinds of options. The other piece of it when it comes to where we started, which was this anxiety about sales and money conversation is how are we talking to the team about their feelings around the money and finance conversations? Because you, you mentioned it earlier, referenced it earlier, the emotional impact that it has to the team when we have to say no, when we have to, uh, you know, put a pet to sleep because they, their pet, their owner can't uh, afford care or or something like that. Like that absolutely has an impact on us. So how do we how do we talk to the team about their their feelings and kind of draw it out into the open? Well, I, you know, for one thing, it is about preparation, and we really are not doing a very good job training our teams. At- Period in a lot of different ways. I mean, I can't even sure. tell you how many practices. Well, That's a soapbox. <laughs> I don't even have time to do that. If somebody said I don't have time to do that. I went, well, that means you don't have time to do surgery or do any vaccines because it's yeah. just as important as doing the medicine as training your team. But I think scripts help a lot and and role yep. playing. And even though everybody goes, Ugh, you know, role play, it is it is <laughs> don't helpful. call it role playing. Yes, it is helpful <laughs> when they kind of explore and and act out and. And I love going back and saying, let's talk about some scenarios in the hospital. And if we had had this conversation ahead of time, how do you think it would have played out? And so you're kind of going back and you're doing that um, dissection of these issues that you have and then coming up and making a plan. Because, you know, the issues repeat themselves during uh, during uh, uh, COVID. Everybody was talking about, you know, the difficulty of clients and. And I was going to give a talk for Alma, and I thought, well, let me find out why people are firing clients. And so I asked him, and I found out there was like a list of 18 things, and all 18 except for two uh, had been stuff I'd been dealing with for 30 years. So nothing changes under the sun. These were the same list except for I don't want to wear a mask and I want to come in the building. So we, you know, those are, there's nothing new. So we need to know that there's, there's comfort in having these conversations because we're going to and you can't turf them all to the manager the manager has stuff to do Um, and so everybody on your team needs to be really comfortable with it and i think you know the technicians typically are the ones who are presenting treatment plans to folks and um, carrie bogren has a really good policy in her hospital and she says you know we know that this is pricey and we have systems set in place if you need help and she said people are so appreciative of it, even if they don't need them. You know, even if they have that credit limit, that's fine to, to cover that with their credit card. But there's there's this, I acknowledge that there's a problem. Um, and so I'm going to proactively put things in place for you. And we have a plan. You know, we have a plan to help. And that in itself is a plus. And if we think about could we save lives by having a plan? Could we save lives by doing the role play that we all hate? Could we save uh, our own soul by not having to put animals to sleep for lack of affordability? Then I think the motivation is much higher for us to power through something that's really uncomfortable for us and do it well, as opposed to, oh, I just don't like to do that. You know, I just don't like to do it. Nobody likes to do it. Nobody likes to have an uncomfortable conversation. But getting a skill set that says I can have uncomfortable conversations with people. And if I learn to have them much further in advance than waiting until the, you know, kind of the ball has dropped, it's too late then. You know, it's too late to talk about it that we need to have, um, have had this conversation with our clients multitudes of time. And even maybe on that first visit. We used to always do a folder, and in it, and it would have some instructions about the, the hospital and you know the doctor's bios and some information. But it also had information about the Care Credit credit card, and it had different what was good for the life of your pet. You know what it was a plan, and we put it in a package and said these are all good good things for you to know. Here are some tools we built for you. Um, it's kind of my favorite. I, AVMA has one, but veterinary care is definitely my favorite one. And why not stockpile some charitable funds for these situations when 
they really won't qualify for any kind of credit card. But can we still do something? Let's um, do still do something. And you talked a little bit about, you know, the the spectrum of care work that's being done now in our profession. And thinking about, you know, my history in the profession, which is really spanning over 35 years now, we were creative. You know, we, it wasn't always, we didn't have to always do gold standard because there was stuff that worked and it wasn't absolutely the best. It wasn't what, you know, the ivory, ivory tower might have taught. One of my fondest memories is a practice, my practice owner, uh, a puppy came in, tested kind of a, um, you know, not strong positive for parvo, but he was starting to be symptomatic and the people just really didn't have anything. And this was in the days before our care credit credit card came to exist. And he sent the dog home and said, every two hours, give this dog chicken broth because hydration is what it needs. And the puppy left. You know, so there's things that work that we need to be creative. Um, The other thing is we don't have to do everything all at once. And that's our mindset. I had an older veterinarian say to me one day, well, Debbie, I can't get people to come in one time a year, much less come in in two because I was recommending twice a year annual exams or semi-annual exams. And I said, that's because you make it a horrible experience for them. When you make it a place of hospitality where people enjoy coming into the practice, where they feel like you're, you know, you really care about them and you're on their team, they will come as many times as they need to come to get the work done. So we can divide and conquer. And that makes things affordable too. And people can spend $100 three times over a year's period of time and spending a hundred dollars once might be out of range. I think that's great. And I think forward planning and forward booking is a very underutilized tool like that. Remembering we don't have to do it all at once. And how can we have that conversation with them about maybe today we do this and then we're going to see you back in two weeks or four weeks or six weeks. And here's the next step. And then here's the next step. And over the next Maybe it's not an acute situation, right? And so we can say over the next three months, we're going to get to this end result and that works for them or their 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 pocketbook, um, you know, and, and going back to something that you said when it uh, when it comes to uh, care credit and and uh, the care credit credit card and, and financing options for our clients, like there are clients who are going to get turned down. And I think about it when I think about our team in my very first practice. Uh, one of the processes was we had of onboarding was to have a conversation about our own pets and how what the pet benefits were, but also then how are we going to pay for care? Because we had the same conversations with our team that we had with uh, our clients. And so I was like, I don't at the time I was I was just uh, out of grad school and and I didn't have any pets. So I was like, nah, it's not really relevant. And then I had been at the practice, I don't know, about a year before I suckered into taking home my first pet <laughs> and I got and I got a kitten and I was a I had just finished grad school and I was you know broken <laughs> I was like I have I have no money and the conversation was how you know here's what you get as a benefit but also then how are you going to pay for your pet's care and I I remember applying for care credit and I I got declined and I had you know that thousands of dollars in student loans and so it was not shocking to me but also mortifying to be like I I work here and I didn't get applied you know, I didn't get uh-huh. um, approved for care credit. And my practice owners were just like, it's okay. Not everybody gets approved for care credit. And you're going to have to have this exact same conversation with clients. And so what what next? Like, what are the options? Uh-huh. And it's amazing to me how often we forget the next step of the conversation doesn't have to be it's one and done or there are no other options. We are offering to the point you made earlier in the episode, we are offering advanced level care. It's no longer just the exam, the flea conversation and heartworm conversation, right? It is it is advanced level, human level medicine. And we have to have those conversations with the team so that we understand so we can put ourselves in the in the yeah. client's shoes, I think, and that we can have that empathy and we can understand how how that how that feels. Um, and you know, it's it's funny because I think back to it now, and I think 
about how ashamed I was and how embarrassed I was when I got declined at that at that first at that first point in time. But now I can't imagine having a pet without having a care credit credit yeah. card. I can't imagine not having pet insurance. I can't imagine not having those things. I probably wouldn't have persisted in having those hard conversations with clients if I hadn't experienced that on my own. Uh-huh. And so I think, you know, the the biggest thing for me is like we've got to start to talk about it, whether it's how is the team going to afford the care? And we've we've had some podcast episodes on on that. How are we going to extend those uh, those charity options to our clients like you were you were talking about? Andy just did uh, a great episode uh, with our friend Tanisha Crocker about discounting uh, care and intentional discounting uh-huh. of care and being able to provide charity uh, support when when needed. Um, how do we talk to the team about how they feel about money and support them as as managers? What are things that we're doing from an HR perspective to further the conversation about financial stability and awareness um, just as human beings to support them, you know, having a whole life and being able to know what those tools are. I think we when we start to think about the the money conversation as a well-rounded whole life thing for ourselves, for our clients, I think that's where we really start to achieve that that Jedi, that Jedi mastery, like you were talking about. <laughs> That's exactly right. I'd be one good every man. Uh, Debbie, this has been, uh, this has been wonderful. You and I could, could continue this could. conversation all day. Uh, but thank you so much for having the conversation with me. This is, this has been great. Um, I'm going to drop some links in the show notes for everybody to some of the things that Debbie and I uh, talked about because there was a lot, certainly some of the reference uh, materials. If you haven't checked out the Synchrony Lifetime of care study, you you definitely should, especially if you're a practice owner, a practice manager. Um, it is it is worth your time. Uh, thank you so much for being here. You're and, welcome. Uh, thanks thanks to our friends at uh, at Synchrony for for making this episode uh, happen ad free because uh, you and I crammed every bit into our into our hour long episode. We <laughs> I love it. We did. I appreciate it. I can't wait to talk to you again soon, friends. Yeah, it's always fun. <laughs> so I guess we'll uh, maybe see each other at AVMA. And um, yes. I guess my afternoon will be spending finishing that book. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, everybody. Have a fantastic week. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. Thanks for joining Debbie and I in this conversation this week. And a special thank you to our friends at Care Credit for bringing you this episode ad free this week. Speaking of care credit, I have to give a big shout out to them uh, for another reason besides bringing you the podcast this week, and that is they are one of our 2023 Anchor Club sponsors for our Uncharted event. And when you're listening to this episode, we are in hopefully sunny Greenville, South Carolina, celebrating the April conference. And we could not put on our events for you and for our community without the help of our industry partners. And so I just want to give a big bottom of the heart thank you from our team and our community to to some very special industry partners to Nutrimax, Nationwide, Chewy Health, Care Credit, and Hills Pet Nutrition. Thank you all so much for being Anchor Club sponsors in 2023 and helping us bring all kinds of awesome events to the veterinary medicine field. We appreciate you. We'll see y'all next time. <laughs>